Please rise for the reading of God's word from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Hear now God's word. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been now revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. The world is full of ideas. It is full of philosophies. In fact, every individual, every man is a philosopher, though few are good philosophers. A line can only be straight in one way, though it can be crooked in an infinite number of ways. Our perspective is limited. Our view is is restricted in such a way that as we look at this confusing world and all of its difficulties, we can't make sense of it. So is it possible for us to know the truth? How can we know the truth? How can we make sense of the world we live in? How can we know God? How can we be right with God? Life is a mystery. The Apostle Paul tells us that the mystery has been revealed to him. It's been revealed to the other apostles, and as a result, it has been revealed to us. This is the supernatural work of the Spirit of God. In Matthew 16, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? There were all kinds of opinions, of course. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered to him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In our text today, Paul is reminding his readers of what they have already been given. The Ephesian Christians and us have been given the most important thing. This includes uh, this being given to the Jews and to the Gentiles, really to all men in all times and all places, because they are in need of salvation. This message has gone forth. If the world is fallen and broken and destined to destruction, then of course we must find a way of salvation or else all is lost, including us. The problem is, of course, that we are blind. We are without hope. We can't find God unless He does something first. 
There is a standing mystery for us all. One which cannot be discovered or solved on our own. It's too big for us. Dr. J. Gresson Machen in 1936 wrote about this mystery and what is required in his book, The Christian Faith in the Modern World. Here's what he said. How can we discover whether there is a God at all? I have something rather simple to say about that question at the very start. It is something that seems to me to be quite obvious, and yet it is something that is, that is quite generally ignored. It is simply this, that if we are really to know anything about God, it will probably be because God has chosen to tell it to us. Many persons seem to go on a very different assumption. They seem to think that if they are to know anything about God, they must discover God for themselves. That assumption seems to me to be extremely unlikely. Just supposing, for the sake of argument, that there is a being of, a such, of such a kind as that he may with any propriety be called God, it does seem antecedently very improbable that weak and limited creatures of a day such as we are should discover him by our own efforts without any will on his part to make himself known to us. At least I think we can say that a God who could be discovered in that way would hardly be worth discovering. A mere passive subject of human investigation is certainly not uh, a living God who can satisfy the longing of our souls. A divine being that could be discovered by my efforts apart from his gracious will to reveal himself to me and to others would be a mere name for a certain aspect of man's own nature a God that we could find within us, or else at best a mere passive thing that would be subject to investigation like the substances that are analyzed in a laboratory. I think we ought to stick to that principle rather firmly. I think we ought to be rather sure that we cannot know God unless God has been pleased to reveal Himself to us. Like the Apostle I know that you already know much of what I'm going to tell you today, but like the Apostle, I'm going to tell you again. Since the Bible says it more than once, so will I. We all assume that we know certain things, and at one level we might, but perhaps we don't know them quite as well as we presume. We might know them in theory, but not in practice. The test always comes... When trouble comes, this is where we find out what we really believe. This is where we find out who we really are. And so Paul wants us to step back and he wants us to get the big picture. He wants us to see what God's ultimate plan is, what his purpose of redemption and salvation are. Remember Paul's circumstances being in prison, he says it's no accident. He is right where God wants him. And he refers to this, he refers to the dispensation of the grace of God. Let me, let me help maybe a little bit with that word dispensation. And just think of the word dispensing. The dispensing, the handing out of God's grace was given to me, and this is in reference to him being in prison, for you. So Paul says this, here I am in prison, and even this, even this thing that everybody would universally say is, quote, a bad thing, 
he says, is really a good thing. It's really the result of the grace of God. It's part of his plan. It's part of how he's advancing the gospel. It's part of how he's going to ultimately encourage his people by demonstrating, for example, Paul's commitment to the gospel, his willingness to go to prison for the gospel. That it's upsetting the world. These men who turn the world upside down, that's why he's there. He's a threat. The gospel is a threat to the system. (coughs) And so, Paul recognizes that it's a privilege, a result of God's grace, that allowed him to be a minister, a servant to God's people. He says, in verse 3, how that by revelation, he, that is God, made known to me the mystery. Paul was one of twelve men who had the mystery of salvation fully revealed to them. Verse 5 goes on to say, It has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. Now, let's not run by this. When we, we have the Bible, the apostles and the prophets, this is God's Word to us to reveal the mystery. Let's put it another way. The secret. The secret of life is right here in God's Word. Do you know what it says? Do you know what it says to you? Do you know what it says about sin? Do you know what it says about heaven and hell? About judgment and about grace? The secret is here. The mystery is revealed here. And Paul says, I'm one of those twelve that received that. The Old Testament prophets had some of the mystery of salvation revealed to them. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, of this salvation, Peter writes, the prophets... That would be the Old Testament prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied Old Testament of the grace that would come to you, New Testament, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them. That is the Old Testament prophets. The spirit of Christ is in the Old Testament prophets was indicating When he, that is the Spirit of Christ, testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them, Old Testament prophets, it was revealed that not to themselves, Old Testament, but to us, New Testament, they were ministering the things which now, New Testament, have been reported to you through those who preach the gospel, there's the apostles, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, supernatural, things which angels desire to look into. Boy, there's a lot there. But we see how God's plan was being revealed from the Old Testament forward. Little by little, unfolding more and more and more. And now the apostles have been brought in. They have been shown even more. And they have, in turn, passed on that revelation to us. So it's not just the prophets and the apostles that know this now. We know it. We should remember what Jesus had said to His disciples, who would be apostles. John 14, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, that is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. So even while Jesus was here, they're being instructed. They don't fully comprehend yet this mystery, 
But he says there's coming a time when the Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to have those aha moments. And you're going to, oh, I remember when he said this and this. It makes sense now that he's resurrected. Now we know. So that, that accounts for this transformation of these apostles, of these disciples, these timid men who ran for cover at the crucifixion, but now face beatings and prison and, and murder, martyrdom, and do so boldly with joy and enthusiasm, just like Paul is in prison. Why? Because it's true. They see it. It's real. And so, we have the Bible, the Word of God, and, and without it we perish in our sins. We would not have known His eternal plan from the foundation of the world to redeem us. And yet, here it is, all laid out for us. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul will reveal that this is by way of the church. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And He Himself, that is Jesus, gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. He reveals the mystery to the apostles and prophets. The pastors and teachers take that word that the apostles and prophets gave and they teach it to you. They equip you. They reveal the mystery to you. Why? For the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is all God's grace. It's all part of His plan. We're not alone. We're not in the dark. God has revealed Himself and revealed His plan to us. Now when Paul refers to the mystery, he is not referring to mysticism. Some people like mysticism because it has no definitions or borders. They want a fuzzy, feely Christianity. But Paul says what? The mystery isn't a mystery anymore. It used to be a mystery. It's not a mystery anymore. It's been revealed. The, the curtain has been pulled back. We can now see clearly. It is the revelation of the mystery that is being preached. And it's now clear. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak, he says, the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written... Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through, the, His, through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 6-10. through So this isn't the wisdom of the age. It's not something we find in the rulers of our day. It is the hidden wisdom of God. Do you remember one of the prayers which Jesus prayed in Matthew 11? I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and you have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, 
so it seemed good in your sight. You see, the natural man, even when he is highly educated or powerful, even if it's a person with a great intellect, (coughs) still needs more to be able to see this. But God has revealed, he said, this through his spirit. Paul himself was bright, was educated. He failed to see this until it was revealed to him. You remember what he said to King Agrippa and the Roman governor Festus? Indeed, I myself thought that I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That was the conclusion he had reached on his own. Paul, left to himself, was a great opponent, a great persecutor of Jesus and the Christians. He would have kept right on pursuing that goal had Jesus not interrupted him on the road to Damascus. He was headed out to Damascus, Acts 9-1, quote, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Jesus was about to enlighten him and change him and change his direction. Galatians 1-11-12, But I made known to you, brethren, Paul writes, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a fantastic claim, one that every person must deal with. You're either going to recognize this and submit to this and own this and receive this or cast it out as foolishness. Which many did, and many have, and many still do. So Paul, you see, is not an original thinker. He is delivering a message, he says, that was given to him, that was revealed to him in a supernatural way. It was a message for us. So when the world looks at Jesus, they only see a man, the son of a carpenter, but not the son of God, or others even thought he was the son of the devil. They couldn't see because he had not been revealed to them. They were blinded. Romans 11:7. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God, excuse me, for it is is God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul recognized that, again, he is part of that special limited group of men called apostles. These are men who have been called by God. They have been sent by God. In Galatians 1.1, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. It took more than a personal claim to be an apostle. It also required authentication. Authentication, excuse me. There were what the Bible calls the signs of the apostles. 
He not only witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he also demonstrated great miraculous power. On more than one occasion in the book of Acts, we read things like that we find in Acts 19.11. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. In fact, the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. It's a record of these things they did to demonstrate that indeed they had the imprimatur, the blessing, the anointing of God as apostles. In fact, it happens so often, extremely often, and in every city, including it had happened in Acts 19 in the city of Ephesus, which he's now writing to. But even more than this, it was the message that the apostles were given to deliver that was the most important thing. This was the mystery that was revealed. All those other things were to draw attention to them so you'd listen to what they had to say. A deposit had been entrusted to them which was to be guarded and delivered. Paul will talk about that with Timothy in the pastoral epistles. He said, I've been given this deposit. I'm giving it to you. You in turn give it to other faithful men who in turn will teach others. 1 Corinthians 4.1 Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The secrets of God. God had filled him with his spirit and given him understanding. He went out to preach what the world thought was foolish, but was in fact, as we read in Romans 1, the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. It was because of this grace that Paul had preached to those in Ephesus, and now, because of that, there was now a church that was established there, one that Timothy would later pastor. Paul is telling them not to be discouraged over his imprisonment, but rather to see his situation as part of the big scheme of God's plan. The mystery's been revealed, unleashed on the world, And while Paul might be in prison, the message was running free. Thus, the truth of God is not ordinary knowledge. The unaided human mind cannot discover it. 1 Corinthians 2, 11-12, Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. You see, we've got to first become like little children. For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh. We are dependent upon the revealed, on the revelation of God. We have only what he's revealed to us in his word. And so my question for you today is, what will you do with that revealed mystery? Will you treat it as a fairy tale? Will you treat it lightly? Or will you take it seriously as the transforming power of God? So what is the real solution to all of your problems? Are all of your problems the result of sin? That is, disobedience to God. 
not doing what he commands or doing what he forbids. Is that, does that cover all of your problems? Then the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only remedy. It's the only remedy or otherwise there is no hope for you. This is what Paul has already told us. We read about it in Ephesians 2. And I'll close with this. 2, 12 through 13. That at that time, that is before you knew this mystery, before you knew this word, before you knew this gospel, at that time you were without Christ, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father, like the rest of the world, we were and still would be groping in darkness were it not for your gracious revelation of the mystery of salvation in Christ. Indeed, we were hopeless and lost when the light of the world broke in. By your mercy and kindness, you initiated what we could not initiate. We love you because you first loved us. You transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of your love. May we never be overcome by the world nor be discouraged by circumstances, for your eternal plan overrides every obstacle and nothing can thwart your plan or your power or your love. Give us eyes to see the mystery revealed in Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, since the mystery has been revealed that God from the beginning intended to save the world through Christ, to begin a revolution to redeem and reclaim the fallen world, and that we are part of that plan, we come to the table to remember how He is accomplishing this glorious salvation. Jesus, the groom, came to retrieve his bride and to present her to his father without spot or blemish. And so we, we shall sit down soon to enjoy the marriage feast of the Lamb forever. Today is Reformation Sunday, which celebrates the 499th anniversary of Luther's nailing his 95 theses to the door of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany which is also credited with starting the Reformation. Next year, Lord willing, we will try to have a big celebration for the 500th anniversary. Luther commented on this marriage that we now come to remember and celebrate at this table. So I have a couple of quotes from Luther to remind us. He says this, Who then can fully appreciate what this royal marriage means? Who can understand the riches of the glory of this grace? Here, this rich and divine bridegroom, Christ, marries this poor, wicked harlot, redeems her from all her evil, and adorns her with all his goodness. Her sins cannot now destroy her, since they are laid upon Christ and swallowed up by him. And she has that righteousness in Christ, her husband, of which she may boast as her, as her own, and which she can confidently display alongside her sins in the face of death and hell and say, 
if I am a sinner, yet my Christ, in whom I believe, has not sinned, and all his is mine, and all mine is his. In other places, Luther wrote, So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. This life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being but becoming, not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. O God, our shield, protect us now as you have in the past from the deceptions of Satan. Cause us to cherish the blessings of your pure word as our fathers in faith have delivered it to us. Give our leaders courage, wisdom, and zeal to proclaim the gospel faithfully. Give us the desire to support the work of your kingdom with the means which you have provided. Stir up the hearts of our sons and daughters to eager service in your church. Send laborers into your harvest. And give your word free course to bring the joy of salvation to the many who are yet in darkness. What a heritage you have given to your church. We have the gospel in all its truth. Teach us to appreciate that godly persons were willing to sacrifice their lives for these treasures. Keep us in this truth and make us instruments for its preservation for generations to come. Arm us with the weapons of the gospel to defend the holy ground our fathers contended for. Stamp out the spirit of compromise and keep us from yielding even the least particle of faith that was once delivered to the saints. Be our mighty fortress to protect us from the devil. May we possess and embrace your word, your sacraments, and your discipline. And most of all, may we as the true church manifest your love. We ask this, Lord, for your glory and for our good. Bless now our feast, our fellowship, our rest this day to your glory and our good. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with a love that is incorruptible. Amen.